Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Clive Urquhart. Okay, now this week and next week, we're obviously continuing our whole series in the book of Romans. And this week we're going and next week, we're going to be looking at the wrath of God. And um, everybody goes... Um, this week we're going to be looking at God's redemptive wrath, okay? And next week we're going to be looking at, um, not sure how to title it for next week, but God's eternal wrath. It's really judgment day. And what expression of God's wrath is revealed on judgment day? So uh, Jane and I, we're off to Israel tomorrow for eight or nine days, uh, helping to lead a, a, a pastors and leaders tour over there. And... Um, so we've pre-recorded already the message for, for next week. Um, and it's not a heavy message, okay, in terms of it's weighty, but it's not heavy. Um, but I believe God wants to give us a, a, a revelation, of, a, a broader revelation of who he is. And part of seeing and knowing who he is, there is an expression of his wrath that will be released on Judgment Day uh, but when we see in the context of scripture, how he releases that, okay, for believers, it's not necessarily a day that we have to be afraid of. And, and we'll unpack all that next week. But, but connected with that, this week and next week, I believe God wants to um, give us a fresh awe of who he is. Not, not to be afraid of God in the sense of fearful, but a fresh reverence of who he is, a fear of the Lord. But in the context of his whole, his nature and his character. Now, to talk about wrath, uh, some people, some in some Christian circles, uh, the wrath of God is emphasised a lot, and and there can be quite a lot in there. And and normally, when talk, people talk about the wrath of God and they emphasise that a lot, there's quite a lot of judgment involved in it, and and often quite a lot of judgment comes across uh, in what God is doing now and he's judging this, he's judging that and he's judging the other. Okay, um, let's just be clear from a biblical point of view. Um, at this moment, God is not judging anything. Ooh. We're going to look at what judgment has he already exercised in regards to redemption, the possibility of salvation for mankind but in terms of, in the context of God's not judging anything, so just bear with me for a moment, that, that little sentence might be taken out of context and put on YouTube somewhere. Master Clive Urquhart said, God's not judging anything. <laughs> there you go. Um, but he's not judging the nations at this time. He's not judging individuals at this time. There will be a day when God does judge every person that has ever lived, is living now and will live in the future. Um, and the Bible talks about that's going to be a pretty fearful day uh, for many. But God is not judging things. If God was judging the nations right now, we would not be here. If God was judging every person on the planet now, we would not be here. We would be in judgment day standing before God. So God is a God of judgment, but he's withholding his judgment in terms of end time judgment and his mercy is being extended right now towards every person on the planet 
and towards every nation. And so we, are, we at this time are living under the mercy of God, holding back his judgment. Are you with me? And there's two parts that we're going to look at. This week, redemptive wrath, and next week, the wrath of judgment, if you like. Both, particularly today, when we see God's wrath in terms of redemption, is a very, very positive message. And actually, at the end of the message, in a few minutes, we're not going to take too long because we're going to have communion this morning. And we're, by the time, hopefully, we've heard some of what believers right to share this morning, we're going to actually be like, Father, I thank you for your wrath. I thank you that you expressed your wrath on what you accomplished on the cross so that I may be forgiven, so that I may be healed. So let's jump into, um, into the word and <clears throat> just see what the Bible says. So we're going to continue on in Romans. We're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18 onwards. And just before that, the backdrop of last week, Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, just to read these and then follow on with Romans 18. Paul here expresses or, or writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. As we look at the scripture this morning and what we're going to be reading, we, we are, we'll understand why the gospel is the power of God for people's salvation. Um, because of what the wrath of God accomplished and what he dealt with through his wrath. Okay? Then it says in verse 17, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is, that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So in order to look at the wrath of God, we need to look at the nature and the character of God. Because everything that God does is an, ex, is an, ex, is an, an expression of who he is. In order for there to be a righteousness from God to be revealed, as it says in verse 17, there must be unrighteousness taking place. Otherwise, we wouldn't need a righteousness to be revealed. So it says a righteousness from God is revealed and it's by faith from first to last. And we're going to unpack that kind of stuff uh, in a few weeks time. Then we go into Romans 1.18. He then begins to say why a, this righteousness needs to be revealed on earth. OK, verse 18. Now we're going to read both the NIV and the truth or the NIV translation, the truth version that Pastor Connie did. We're going to read both of those and bring different things out. So Paul writes here and this is in the NIV, first of all. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So what we're looking at this morning is the picture that Paul paints of the godlessness and the wickedness of what sin does in people. Every person, when they're born, is born with a sin nature. What does that mean? It means we naturally sin. We naturally go against 
God's will, God's heart, God's purposes, because the nature in us is to sin. What is sin? Sin is acting independently from God. Adam and Eve took a piece of fruit. They took a bite. What did they do? They didn't murder. They didn't commit adultery. They didn't do loads of stuff that we would say, well, that's, you know, they simply took a piece of fruit and took a bite. They acted independently from God. So as far as God's concerned, any act of independence, anything that is not in line with his will and his character and how he would want us to live is called sin. Now, God knows that the power of sin separates man from him. And the core, and what sin then does causes godlessness. What does that mean? It means I don't want to know God. And therefore, God is nowhere in my life. I do not have an interest in knowing God. And when people's hearts are like that, there is godlessness in their lives. All of us at some point in our lives were that. We were living a godlessness life. And, and I'm sure you would, that, that, and in that life, you had no interest in wanting to know God at all. You were doing whatever you wanted to do, living the way you wanted to live. You might not have been happy. You might not have been fulfilled. But maybe some of you, you were living the dream. You were living the life that you, you thought this is the best life possible. And for whatever reason, something began to happen in your life or you began to hear the message of who Jesus Christ is, that something began to change in your thinking or an intrigue or an interest began to arise on the inside of you that was like, well, maybe there's something in this. Maybe there is, you know. But all of us were living in that way, godlessness. And, and it says wickedness. That's a strong word, isn't it? And, and so what is wickedness? Uh, and, and when we talk about these things, sometimes we rate sin, don't we? Well, that was wicked behavior. That was just the way these people are being treated. That is wicked um, uh, in terms of a negative. I know people, maybe not so much these days, but a slang word is, oh, that's wicked, man. You know, that means, oh, that's cool. But actually wickedness is really not cool and it's not good. Now, what God wanted to do, he wanted to deal with the nature of sin. He wanted to deal with sin, which causes godlessness and wickedness. And those, before we know God, when we're, in a relate, when, we're, when we're out of relationship with God, we suppress the truth by our wickedness. What does that mean? It means I'm not interested. I don't want to know the truth. I don't want to know about God. I don't want to know because if I know about God and if he is real then I'm, have, I'm going to have to be accountable to him. And I don't want to be accountable to anybody because I want to live the life I want to live the way I want to live it. And I don't want anybody else to tell me how I should or shouldn't live my life or what is right or wrong. That's, that's what goes on in the sin nature. The sin nature wants to be independent from God. The sin nature does not want to be accountable to God. And therefore the sin nature has control over people's lives and they have absolutely no way out in and of themselves. It's impossible to deal with the nature and the power of sin that controls people's lives outside of a relationship with God. And so Paul is, is starting here and he's saying, hey, then he says here, 
uh, after this. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now, what's Paul saying here? He's like, well, hang on a minute. Uh, unpack that, Paul. He then says this in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So Paul starts off by making a statement here that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness. And what he's doing, he's, he's, there's a progression here in these verses, 18, all the way down to, I think, verse, whatever it is, 30-something, I think, and uh, 32. There's a progression here where Paul is saying, hey, wickedness, rebellion, godlessness out there. People don't want to know God. They're not interested. They don't want to be accountable. But then he says this, but the starting point is God has made himself known. He's already shown that he's real by creation and what he's done and made possible. So his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through what he has made. This is, this is strong here. So that people are without excuse. Wow. So first it's like they haven't even heard the gospel yet. And yet it's saying here, even creation alone says that God is real, Amen. that he is here. Yes. And therefore, people are without excuse. One of the things I believe God wants to do this week and next week, we've only got a few more minutes this morning, is a fresh revelation of the weightiness of God, the awe of God. Often what we do, we bring God down to our size. And maybe in this area, say wrath, we bring him down to our size because we, we struggle with, with, wow, what does that mean? Some people overemphasize it, but then others at the other end of the scale where wrath doesn't fit in with their picture of God. And so they struggle to understand because wrath in the natural, people think that wrath is a, a, an, an expressed in the natural. It can be very negative and very destructive because a lot of the time wrath is seen as just a display of anger, extreme anger and, and vengeance and getting back at people. And therefore their wrath is just, I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to vengeance. But God's wrath is not that. And we'll explain that in, in a few moments. Then he goes on, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their hearts, uh, their foolish hearts were darkened. And so here there's a progression here. Look, creation speaks, but people are not taking note of creation. They still want to continue in their own ways, doing their own thing. Although they claimed to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. Why? Because they turned away from the creator, and then it says here, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles, worshiping man-made things. And then it goes on, if we read on, which we're not today, we're gonna to come to some of the rest of this chapter in a few weeks time, when we look at biblical sexuality and some of the things that are going on in the world, but we're gonna look at things in the context of biblical sexuality, not just take a scripture and then try and deal with that in and of itself in isolation, okay? 
But the progression when we read this is, is from creation through to people wanting to do their own thing through to the point where God says, because they don't want me, I give them over to whatever their sinful desires want. Why does he say that? Because God will never intervene with someone's will. God will only respond to the will of someone responding to him. So in this context, God's wrath, let's just give a, a little explanation of, of God's wrath, okay? God's wrath is not a loose cannon of him losing temper with people. His wrath is not a reckless rage, an uncontrollable anger, a senseless fury or unjust vengeance. God's wrath is his righteous response to sin and the effect that it has and what it causes. His wrath is a precise and controlled response to everything that separates man from God and, is, and that is unrighteous. It is God acting justly in relation to his righteousness and his love, dealing with everything that is not holy. Wrath and love sounds like a contradiction, but because God is love, he had to deal with sin and how he dealt with sin was in his wrath, in his righteous anger to deal with the power of sin, to break it and the, the power of the sin nature to break that and open up the way for people to then know God. So his wrath is an expression of his love. Wow. How many of us would want to worship a God that we say, well, God is love, God is love, God is love, but doesn't express his love through wrath to deal with the negativity that would stop us from knowing him as yeah. and in his love. Yeah. Yeah. Because he loved, he dealt with the stuff with his wrath. Yeah. Now, does that mean God is walking around angry with everything? No, not at all. Because God displayed his anger, his wrath, his righteous wrath on the cross. Yeah which we had as part of the worship in terms of what God was saying there. And he had to, why? Because he is holy. Let's have a look, what does 1 John 1, 5 say? This is the message that we have heard from him and now announced to you, that God is light. Now, when you unpack the word light there, it means he is holy, he is truthful, and he is perfect in righteousness. And in him, there is no darkness at all. That means there's no sin, there's no wickedness, there's no imperfection. When we read through different stories in the Old Testament, there's lots of scenarios where God is holy and the people could not approach him unless firstly they had cleansed themselves in certain ways that they were told they had to do. They couldn't worship him until they'd done certain things because God was holy and he couldn't have unholy people approaching him. This is where the cross comes in and what is made, made possible for us to be able to approach God and know him. Let's just look at this other scripture for a moment. Luke 10 verse 18. God's absolute contempt for sin in this one verse. This is a context where um, Jesus was speaking to the uh, disciples. They'd just come back after he sent the 72 out to go and in, in do whatever they were doing. They came back. Oh, even, even they said, even, even the, the demons submitted when we took authority over them. And, and what did Jesus say at that point? 
Uh, this is Luke 10, 18, just one little verse. He says, he says don't, don't just rejoice, you know, over that. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of heaven, in the book of life. Because what did he say here? Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, imagine what's going on. Heaven, perfect. God, everything up there, worshipping him in relationship with him. Lucifer, as he was called then, was the worship leader in heaven. He started to think, actually, I think up here they should start worshipping me. Even the initial thought at that moment, the thought that went on in Lucifer's mind. It wasn't as if there was, a, there was a church split in heaven and Lucifer was leading a new congregation of demons that were worshipping him and God was thinking, what shall I do with about that? The moment Lucifer thought in his mind, I, I want everybody to start worshipping him, immediately, like lightning, he was thrown out of heaven. Wow. Why? Because nothing unholy can be in the presence of God. So can you see the, it's not, just a, it's not just a passion that God has. It is his nature and character. So therefore, when he looks at sin and the destructive wickedness and all of that stuff that the Bible talks about, he says, I'm going to deal with that. And how's he going to do it? He had to exercise his wrath, his judgment on sin in some way. And the only way he could exercise his judgment was through a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus became that perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus hung on the cross, God exercised his wrath and fulfilled his wrath through Jesus hanging and dying there on the cross. Wow. But it was the nature of love. that expressed wrath on sin, on death and on hell to defeat the power of it and the effects of it in people's lives. And so God's redemptive wrath expressed through his love opened up the way for you and I and every person on the planet to cross over from death to life. Amazing. God's love in action. One last example and then we're going to have communion. Uh, JD, Jonathan Dyke, Pastor Jonathan leads the Worthing Congregation. He, we were talking earlier in the week and he just said this. He said, um, or he said, the, the, the vertical is like the love of God coming down with the salvation, for salvation of mankind on the cross. And, and the horizontal is like a, a um, or he said the cross was like a lightning conductor between heaven and earth. It was like God's love coming down to make, you know, to, to earth. And then when Jesus was stretched out, it was like God's justice and judgment was exercised on Jesus so that we could be forgiven. I love that, don't you? And so the cross is like the meeting point of God's wrath and God's love at work to make salvation possible for mankind. Don't you love that? So as we have communion this morning, 
we want to firstly thank God for his wrath. Because without his wrath being exercised on, on, on Jesus or through Jesus, there would be no defeat of sin, the power of it. There would be no possibility of being forgiven. There would be no possibility of being healed in that way and us living in the life that we have now. So as we have communion this morning, we are remembering, as Jesus said, every time you do this, remember me. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. The power of it, the victory of it, the life of it, the fullness of it. And, and we've got these lovely little plastic pots, you know, with really tasty juice in there and a little bit of a wafer in the top. And, um, and uh, I know you're not going to rush out and buy them uh, yourselves. But what we're doing is not in the taste of these things. It's by faith in the power of his blood and what he accomplished on the cross. And so this morning, as we have communion, I want to encourage you to thank God for his wrath that was exercised on your behalf. And there might be some specific things you want to thank him for that that wrath dealt with, that you know when you gave your life to him, God set you free from, forgave you for, and, and set you on a whole new path. Often we say, well, let's thank the Lord for his love, you know, which is. But this morning, I just believe God's saying, thank me for my wrath. Because my wrath is not just an expression of some untamed anger. It's my righteous character, my holy nature, dealing with everything destructive and demonic that could separate you and mankind from me. And I broke the power of it all and open up the way to forgiveness, freedom, salvation, healing, deliverance, all that we can live in the good of. Amen. Let's just stand together, shall we, for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your amazing love, your unfailing love, your love that never, ever fails. And Father, we thank you that in the context of your love this morning, your redemption, your salvation, and all that you've done for us, we thank you because you are righteous, because you are holy, and because you are love. You released your wrath, your righteous anger on everything that could separate us from you. You nailed it to the cross. And you said, sin, you are not going to have power over that which I've created any longer. Sickness, you are not going to have control over the, the sons of man that I've created to know me. Every wickedness, every rebellion, everything that causes men, people's hearts to turn away from me. I'm judging that right now with my wrath on the cross through the blood of Jesus. God's wrath was exercised against the devil, sin, hell, depravity, everything that causes destruction. 
He was angry. There was a righteous anger released. But then what does he do? That righteous anger, that wrath, then turns into forgiveness, healing, wholeness. Because of what his wrath accomplished, his love could then release. Father, we thank you. We praise your awesome name. Maybe there's many around your table or at home or maybe there's just one or two of you. But as you take, just take one of the little uh, pots for a moment. And I want to encourage you, you can pray together, not just on your own this morning, pray together. And maybe as you pray together in twos and threes or you're, whoever you've come with as a group or you're at home with, just thank God for what His wrath has accomplished in your life. And just thank Him for a fresh awe and reverence on your life this morning, knowing what He's done. So Jesus, we, we thank You for the power of what You accomplished on the cross. You willingly surrendered and gave Your life for us. And when you're with the disciples at the Last Supper, that Passover meal, you took the bread at, some, at one moment and you broke it in front of them and you said, hey guys, this is my body, which is given for you. They didn't even realise what you meant at that moment, but you're saying, I'm about to give myself my body given for you. And he, he went in the garden and, and, and sweated blood because he knew what he was about to go through. He knew God's righteous wrath was about to be expressed on him and through him, taking the punishment of everything that we deserve. He took upon himself every sin, every ailment, everything of godlessness and wickedness. He, he allowed the Father to punish him on the cross through his wrath. Wow. And he willingly went there because he knew, the Bible says, the joy that was set before him, the joy that was on the other side of the cross, knowing that there'd be reconciliation for you and I, knowing that the way was going to be open so that we could be forgiven, we can be set free from the power of sin, be forgiven for sin, be healed, be delivered and come into this holy relationship with the Holy One. Oh, God is so good, so good. How amazing is God? And he did it through his blood. Then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to give you a totally new start. I'm going to completely disempower sin and everything that could separate you. That's the power of my blood. There's not another liquid in the universe that does what the blood of Jesus does. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the power of the blood as we eat and drink of you by faith this morning that you are our bread, you are our life, you are our fullness, you are everything we need. You are our cleansing, you are our holiness, you are our righteousness. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. And as you eat and drink this morning, maybe you need to be healed or maybe something further needs to happen this morning. 
by faith, take what is yours, take what is yours, take what is yours, take the victory, take the healing, know that you are forgiven. Maybe if there is something you need to be forgiven for, just say, Father, I thank you for your wrath. You broke the power of that on the cross. And I thank you that in your love right now, I receive your forgiveness. I receive healing, I receive cleansing, whatever it is. So let's just be with one another for a few minutes, break bread or whatever you got there in your hand. Pray for one another, pray whatever you need to pray this morning. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.